This episode of the Blue Hawaii Podcast, as with all the others, is brought to you by Homebrew in Paradise. Homebrew in Paradise. That's Homebrew in Paradise, your one-stop shop for all your beer, wine, cider, and fermented food-making needs. Go in there, mention the Blue Hawaii Podcast, and get 10% off all starter kits and recipes. That's Homebrew in Paradise. Where is it located? 740 Moava Street in, in Kalihikai. Welcome to the Blue Hawaii Podcast. I'm Ryan Little. I'm Josh Michaels. And we are back together and better than ever. Yes. Reunited and it feels so good. We're recording this at the home of our dear friend, today's guest, Mr. Aaron Wills, a local attorney and former Division I NCAA football stud. Aaron will be joining us shortly, but first, we're going to catch up with each other a little bit and also talk about the news, specifically the GQ article where Paul McCartney reveals that the Beatles all used to come together. At John Lennon's house. Hey yo. That's that's in the show notes. Josh wrote those, and that's a good pun. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, well, I'm pretty sure uh, this episode will be coming out on Yom Kippur, so hopefully it's not too late to atone for any sinful content. Oh. Um, you know, uh, as we're blowing the shofar, inaugurating the new year, I realized uh, it's basically they invented the world's first dance hall air horn or vuvuzela. Yeah, yeah. Fair, you know. Throughout history, we see uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. That's true. You know, you know, cultures from the dawn of time have always needed a way to announce that it's lit. It's lit. It's lit. So what's been happening lately? Well, uh, I got a campaign email from uh, Representative Andrea Tupola's office this morning. Well, somebody not from her office, in, from her campaign. Somebody you intend to vote for, I assume. Uh, that's neither here nor there. Um, anyway, let me bring it up. Yes. Where did it go? Oh, I have... 38 emails from my mom sharing uh, New York Times articles. That's great. Fantastic. Here we go. Ah, Blue Hawaii podcast. Yes. Subject line. Can you believe he's hiding? Aloha, friend. It has officially been one week since candidate for governor Andrea Tupola challenged. They couldn't even pay to get your name put in there instead of just friend. Friend. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, it's through the Blue Hawaii account. So maybe it's like, Aloha, Blue. (laughs) Yeah. And they're like, well, that's not a real name. Yeah. Uh, Since... Candidate for Governor Andrea Tupola challenged incumbent incumbent Governor Ige to a six-island debate. Since then, Ige has declined two major TV debates against Andrea, and his campaign has yet to respond to her challenge. He's playing the old Tulsi oh, Gabbard strategy. Yes, we are 53 days away from the general election, and voters across the state are wondering why the governor is avoiding community discussions. Are we? Are we wondering why the governor is avoiding community discussions? I felt like he really leaned into a certain community discussion about a month and a half ago. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, you know, we got him to come talk to us. Uh, we sent a very... Uh, she should just reach uh, out to his PR people yeah. very kindly. Yeah. They're wonderful. They're great. Hook it up. Um, we sent an invitation her way. Uh, they let us... They would say... They said they would get back to us very soon. And, and let they us did know. not. They did not. Why Ooh. is she running? Uh... Is that, that what the said? No, why is she hiding? Why is, she, why is he hiding? Why is she hiding Ooh. from us? What are, Let's yeah. ask the real questions. Uh, also, she's not, I mean, she's not the only one hiding from us. That's true. We've had several people hide from us. Yeah, okay. Uh, mostly what else famous. Is, what else is going on? Um, how about the report noting the median home price of a single family home on Oahu now up to a paltry $810,000. Oh, pish posh, pocket so, change. And if anybody's got a down payment of, you know, $160,000 cash laying around, yeah. you can easily afford a mortgage on any of the less than 700 square foot homes that are located here on Oahu for well, sale. Well, my friend, my good friend, and I recently started a podcast, and we're expecting the money to roll in any day now. Yeah, it's. I'm sure it'll be coming. Just it's <laughs> just waiting on it. Oh man, do you see? Um, Tulsi Gabbard was on the Joe Rogan Experience. No, uh, I didn't actually that's, watch it. That's on brand for her. I feel like. Yeah. Um, 
I, I didn't watch it. I, I never have watched the Joe Rogan no. experience. He's interesting. He's uh, he's crazy. Yeah, he's crazy. He's but... like Alex Jones, but he does MMA. <laughs> and and math and fear factor oh yeah probably pos- allegedly yeah allegedly <laughs> well i do not believe that uh, representative gabbard hit that blunt like elon musk did otherwise we probably yeah. would have heard about that okay uh what else what about cuomo versus nixon yeah i for those of you who haven't been paying attention uh miranda from sex in the city ran for governor of new york yeah uh, she primaried andrew cuomo of I've can't told, get anything done fame i've been told i'm a really more of a samantha so i don't that doesn't resonate as well with me you know you strike me as not a samantha samantha was i don't i don't actually know who any of them were well samantha was kim Cattrall. oh i like kim Cattrall. Well, i like her she's a liverpool fan well yeah but i don't think you sleep around as much anyway back to, about andrew cuomo <laughs> so uh he's he sucks he's yeah. basically like the democrat version of donald trump yeah he sucks he's he's not a good governor no, he, uh unfortunately cynthia nixon could not replicate uh alexandria ocasio-cortez upset win over the new york establishment it's interesting albany uh, is even more crooked and swampy than washington dc is mm. uh, and we saw you know cuomo was bankrolled by the big money and uh biden came and endorsed him both Clintons came and endorsed him. The establishment, push comes to shove, will protect their own. Yeah, well, and you you can't really blame them. I mean, the establishment is the establishment because they're wealthy and powerful. And somebody who threatens their wealth and yeah. power, they're only acting in their own self-interest. I mean, just, just remember, everybody, the mainstream Democratic Party is not going to save you. No, they don't. They're. I mean, they're just as rich and powerful as the Republicans. Yeah. It's just like they're just a little more moral with it. It's like yeah. Bezos is a Democrat, but like... The guy pays no taxes. The, have you seen the, the, the meme? Uh, like, the right, build the wall. The left, open borders. L- liberals, hire more women guards. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the thing about New York, it, it's kind of an, a parallel for Hawaii where it's like it's a blue state, but it's not really a progressive state. Exactly, exactly. Similar to Hawaii. Yeah. And I, I think the lesson learned is similar to the lesson that was learned from the CD1 race here in Honolulu, which is money, money, money matters, name recognition money. matters. And to be quite honest, social media is not translating to success at the polls. We're not getting people out to vote uh, in a proportion to how many people are sharing, liking, nope. retweeting, nope. that sort of thing. Nope. So uh, it was a great strategy in 2008 when Republicans were like, "What's a Facebook?" Yeah. But it seems like in in 18, it's not as it's not as powerful. No. Uh, well, we'll see. We'll wait and see if the blue wave comes. But we know we're in the middle of hurricane season. We are. Uh, Washington Monthly is reporting that the Trump administration diverted nearly 10 million dollars uh, from FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, which is responsible for you know disasters, emergency management. Emergency management. Uh, diverted it to ICE, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency, to fund tent cities for migrant children. So this is a great use of resources during hurricane season, I'm sure. sure. Uh, We really appreciate it. The folks on the Big Island cleaning up from Hurricane Lane, the folks on Maui cleaning up from Tropical Storm Olivia, the folks in the Carolinas who are getting reamed right now. It's just a necessary sacrifice. Oh, uh, uh, so one of my closest friends, uh, his dad has a place in New Bern, North Carolina, it's and underwater. It's, it's 14 feet above ground, the bottom floor. And uh, water came within like a foot. Jeez. The, the storm surge was like 13 feet, and they're 30 miles inland. They live near a river, but they're 30 miles inland. It washed away their garage doors and like ruined everything below well, the first level. You know, he can take comfort in the fact that if it gets really bad, uh, Donald Trump might come down and throw paper towels at him. Or 
he might be lucky enough to move into a tent city for migrant children. Well, you know, uh, speaking of hurricanes, uh, Donald Trump is in hot water this week because uh, he's denying that 3,000 Americans were killed when Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico. Uh, the same number of Americans killed on 9-11. It's fake news. Yeah, he said those numbers were fabricated by Democrats to hurt him politically. And we've seen on Fox News, Geraldo, Lou Dobbs, all those guys already picking it up and running with it. Oh, yeah. So the new official Republican talking point is that... 3,000 3, people yeah, didn't die. They didn't die. Or if their deaths did happen on Donald Trump's watch... They don't matter. Fault. It's political. It doesn't I matter. I think Paul Ryan said... What do you yeah. say? He said casualties don't make you look bad. Yeah, casualties are to be expected during any natural disaster. And 3,000 of them yeah. certainly doesn't make you look bad. If uh, anything, it's a positive for Donald Trump because they're uh, brown people, so they just don't matter as much. Yeah, I mean, you saw like throwing, like Donald Trump throwing paper towels at them. Like, I don't think if you asked Donald Trump, are you a white nationalist? He would say no. He'd sure. probably, he doesn't understand that concept. But in his lizard brain, you could tell he thinks... The brown people are not as like worthwhile or as American, oh, yeah. and like know. they don't vote for me, so why do I care? And yep. he is a he, the man, is incapable of understanding why he's supposed to care. That's true. Uh, continuing with hurricane news, Hawaii geared up again for Hurricane Olivia, and once again we dodged the bullet on Oahu. On Oahu, that's but, true. Maui took the brunt. Shout out Maui. Um, Molokai yeah. had quite a bit of flooding. Hope, but hope everybody's okay. As far as I know, there's been no casualties. Yeah. Guys, um, uh, if you have extra canned goods, the Hawaii Food Bank is really strapped right now. That's true. Um, you can donate pretty much anywhere. Um, all sorts. Of, just go, go to hawaiifoodbank.com, I think is the website. Shout out Uncle Ron Mizutani, CEO. And uh, for all of the people who are enduring Florence up on the Carolinas and East Coast, hang in there. Yeah, man. Uh, so two two local news stories we want to share with you before we get to our uh, guest, our main man, Aaron Wills. First, we got to send a shout out to friends of the show, Bob, Paula, and Sarah from episode 26, because the members of Unite Here Local 5 have voted to authorize a strike. Strike, baby, strike. Civil Beat had the story. 95% of those voting favored authorizing a work stoppage. The That's a lot of Monday people. Night. Yeah. Possible strike targets include the landmark Royal Hawaiian, the Western Moana Surfrider, the Sheraton Waikiki, the Sheraton Princess Kaiulani. Uh, as well as the Waikiki Beach Marriott, the Sheraton Maui, and uh, a bunch of other Kiyoya properties. The vote comes as tourism is booming. The unemployment rate is practically nil. Visitors to the state spent $1.66 billion in July 2018, an increase of 4.8% over the previous year. Hotel room rates in Waikiki are averaging uh, $2.30 a night. Occupancy rates at 80%, so the tourism industry is doing great. Um, but Hawaii's high cost of living is making it increasingly difficult for workers to make ends meet. Eric Gill, the financial secretary and treasurer of Unite Here Local 5, said the low unemployment rate masks the fact that many people need to work multiple jobs to survive. Gill said, it's not booming for us, it's booming for the bosses. Yeah, I think that kind of mischaracterizes it a bit, which is, you know, to be expected. They're an advocacy group. But like, why, are you, why are you committing class warfare? What I'm saying is like... The, the strike average, a blow against like, the presser. The average like manager at a hotel is not making that much no, money. But the Marriott but shareholder that's who it is. is like so offshore, offshore, offshore. It's, offshore, not, offshore really shell. It's, it's not like their supervisors making the schedule. Well, the shareholders are, are the bosses, but and you know, under under pure capitalism, sure. the shareholder is the ultimate boss, no, right? I, yeah, but that's a little that's a little bit stretching. Workers of the world unite. <laughs> you have nothing to lose but your chains. <laughs> I'm not saying they shouldn't strike. I'm just saying <laughs> I don't think that the guy like it feels weird to to sort of like say the bosses because I think that sort of that sort of implies it's like you know the like well, the the hospitality manager is yeah. just like living in Kahala in a in a Petit, giant mansion. It's uh, like no, they maybe maybe they crack a French revolution. K. French revolution. They would have they would have guillotined the manager probably. That's true. Yeah, but 
I'm just saying I'm at sure the end of the they day, stuck a, if they stuck a microphone in the guy's face and he had said, kill and eat the rich, you know, they probably, that probably would not be the best for PR. It, I'm just saying it's not, it's not like the, the low level guys. Cause that's still like, that's local people that are taking those jobs. It's like, yeah. you know, it's somebody's mom, it's somebody's uncle, but it's like the people who are really making the money here is Marriott corporate. It's, yeah. and it's all like, the people who are investing in the Marriott index fund or whatever. Sure. Yeah. And so to an extent it is the bosses, but I get why they said that. And I still think they should strike. But I guess what I'm saying is if you hear this and you hear that quote and you know somebody who's like direct, a manager at the Marriott. Direct your rage upward of them, not at them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, last little bit of local news before we get to Aaron. Uh, it seems Kauai Mayor Bernard Carvalho has made a new controversial friend. Uh, he, Uncle Bernard played host to Sarah Duterte. No. The, the mayor of Davao City in the Philippines and the daughter of Filipino president and internationally renowned lunatic second place internationally renowned ah third place internationally renowned lunatic who's the second kju uh if we had in terms well, maybe of like he might actually straight, be number one in terms of straight up like crazy if it's crazy yeah i think duterte is gonna take the cake but yeah. it's gotta be you've got to look at this on a matrix like, right kid it's, kju has a little more self-control than duterte does well sure and then but then at the end of the day like trump has more power than both of them so yeah. he's got to be number one you know what three-way tie three-way tie for first. just three-way yeah. just the three of them have a three-way oh that's i don't hate that i don't <laughs> for some reason i don't hate that idea uh anyway so anyway. he's playing host to a despot's daughter yes uh so he wrote on instagram uh, that he was quote building a bridge of aloha and human corpses <laughs> and not, not that's the subtext um you know uncle bernard uh, unfortunately i think is just too friendly and has too much aloha for his own good that guy is the man yeah other than this thing i've been very pleased <laughs> uh, with him our friend michael uh at lookma i can write on twitter made some critical observations uh she's foster duterte here uh not not not, not fernando we know he's the, this bad is dude. the daughter this is the daughter uh, sarah yeah she you know the apple doesn't fall off far from the tree yeah uh i wish we knew some tagalog that we could have used there yeah. but i don't isis uh, she's fostered martial law in Mindanao, supporting her father's practice of warrantless searches and curfews. Dope. Mayor Duterte has blasted human rights activists that slam her father's rape jokes and rising rape incidences in Davao, asking them, what have you done for Davao? What a stupid well, question. Well, I haven't raped anybody. That's one, right? You're, oh, you're playing the, the Kavanaugh card? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, yep. That's, uh, more on that later. Uh, over 677 million pesos, that's about 12.5 million U.S. dollars, have been spent on unjustified government positions that were filled as political favors under her administration. So she's uh, taken after our man Trump, draining the swamp. Of course. Uh, she threatened a By sen- swamp, she means treasury. Yeah. She threatened a senator who's been a whistleblower against her father with physical, political, and financial harm for saying she's planning to run for senator president. She said, quote, she will make sure that he would be alive and in pain those are those two are not always mutually exclusive and last but not least they are well isn't the human condition pain is pain is the only guarantee (laughs) too dark you're you're leaning in hard into marxism today (laughs) uh over 2.9 billion pesos that's almost 54 million dollars that's a lot of the mayor of a a small to mid-sized city um 54 million U.S. dollars. In unac- the Philippines? In the Philippines. That's like, unaccounted that's like for, an infinite amount of yeah, money. Unaccounted for under Duterte's administration, allegedly spent on catering for her campaign and political favors. I would have loved to work on that campaign. Woo-wee. Well. Stick around. Yes. I know uh, you're you're all locked in, but yeah. we've got a really interesting interview coming up. Yep. Aaron Wills. We're going to talk about 
uh, all things college football, professional football. Uh, UH's disappointing loss to Army. Uh, Nebraska's disappointing loss to Troy. And <laughs> Auburn's impending, potentially disappointing loss to LSU. That uh, will not happen because I will not let it. Uh, More on that in a minute. Stay tuned to the Blue Hawaii podcast. Blue Hawaii? Yeah. We often hear Hawaii meaning white person in a negative connotation, but is a perfectly good word. It means foreign introduced to foreign origin or foreign introduction. So in Hawaiian, anyone or anything that is not native to Hawaii is Haole. I'm Leilani Poli Ahu. Ahui Ho. Haole. Haole is a perfectly good word. Welcome back to the Blue Hawaii Podcast. Our guest today is Aaron Wills. He is a Honolulu attorney specializing in criminal defense and a fellow alum of the William S. Richardson School of Law at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. Go Bows. He co-hosts a show on Think Tech Hawaii called Rehabilitation Coming Soon, but also he won two national championships playing for the Nebraska Cornhuskers and their legendary coach, Tom Osborne. He played on the 1995 team, considered by many, not not this guy, to be the greatest college football team of all time. That'd be the 2010 Auburn Tigers. He played both sides of the ball, outside linebacker, tight end, and defensive end. Uh, Any other hardware we're missing? This is all no, according to Wiki, this I is never Wikipedia, by the way. outside linebacker. I started off as a tight end, and then uh, I switched to defensive end. I got to so, say, Wikipedia lied to me. Oh, okay. Hey, yeah. hey, look. It might be defined, you know, outside linebacker, whatever. You're playing a hybrid position, four, probably. 4-3, four, 4-4. Four, four, yeah, what are you going to Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is like some, that's some next, like, just in soccer, like, the, the number 10. Like, he's in between. Like, he does right. it all. Yeah. Also, most recently, known for absolutely dominating. Tearing. Shit. Friend of the uh, show, Mike Dunford. Mike Dunford at the <laughs> UH wave the white flag law Mike. student intramural flag football game. That had a that had a yeah. I remember that. that By the way, that wasn't the on first one. I don't know if you guys know Representative Jarrett. Um, Kehokalole. That's him. Yeah, good friend of mine. So when I was my first year there, yeah. he was the guy blocking me. Oh, he learned. And well, I just didn't know that we were going full speed. <laughs> and once I did, I had to you know just yeah. do what I do. Yeah. And he said You're afterwards, wired. he's You're like, wired. "Oh my yeah. god, that was the worst." <laughs> Like, no. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I played on a national championship football team. Like, yeah. Oh okay. I was. It was surprised how hard they were going. I was like, my good. I didn't. We okay. Let's do it. Are we back? Are we back in Lincoln? <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Aaron, I mean, we we kind of gave a short bio, but you know, tell us your story a bit, man. Oh, you know what? I have a long story, but basically, the the gist of it is this: my mom's from a small uh, farming town in Iowa, from Marshalltown, Iowa. My dad is from here, Honolulu. He's a 1963 Kamehameha grad. Passed away, passed away last year. So I'm sorry um, to hear that, man. RIP, my dad. RIP. And uh, um, basically, what happened was my dad left Hawaii and was seeking other opportunities because he felt like it was just too high cost of living. It's a very um, common theme. Even back that's, then. That's, yeah. Yeah, even back then. Cyclical. Yeah. yeah. And so he gets out. He be um, he was in the army for four years. Gets out of the army, and they tell him, "Hey, look, you know, you're really smart. We'll send you to school to go and be." Um, a CPA or an economist or whatever and he says well if I'm not smart I'm just gonna get out and go to school myself and so he did the IRS picked him up and he did 25 years as an IRS agent Wow but in the process met my mom in Iowa and so I was actually born in Des Moines Iowa Des Moines, and then we Iowa. moved to Omaha Nebraska when I was three and that's where my brother was born and then we spent the rest of our time in Omaha Nebraska Oh, okay. so I ended up going to high school in Nebraska Burke High School and I was a swimmer I was a 16 years um, competitive swimmer you can take the boy out of Hawaii but you can't Take that's right i was a water boy and yeah. so and you know I, I we used to come back to hawaii about every four years or so but my swimming was just like the center of my life really and i ended up winning state in swimming uh 
200 free and then we won a couple of team titles and so the individual title though was important to me because my training partner ended up getting second and so he was on my team too his name is steve jackson he's actually a black belt in jiu-jitsu he's kind of gone on and done other things so real proud of him too but um he ended up next year because i did not swim my senior year because i had already gotten a scholarship to play football for nebraska yeah so i decided to uh just get ready for football but then steve won the 200 free the next year at state so it was good to have good training partners and swimming was great but then kind of made the transition because i went out for football I never played football until my sophomore well i played you know 13 14 i played tackle football but high school football I never played until my sophomore year and uh i went out for football and i actually asked my swim coaches for permission i was like can i please go just go try out for football and it was already after two days yeah. it was actually the first week of the first game so I go out and I didn't know how depleted really the team was. So I'm going to tell you some stuff that may sound amazing, but it probably really wasn't given that, you know, at the end of the season, we only had about 25 guys total on the team. But I ended up making varsity the first yeah. day of practice. So they're not they're not trying to turn you away or anything. Though. Right, right. No, they're not. You know, and he actually sees something in me. He could have yeah. put me on JV right away, but he, he allows me to play varsity after the first day of practice. And then after three days, he starts me in the first game. As, and I think it was defensive end. And we get smashed by Gross. I think we don't even score a point. And Gross is like... We're a Division One, uh, you know, public school. Yeah. Burke was, and Gross is uh, not even in Division One. They're like Division Two. They smash us. We we ended up losing every single game that year, and I, my head was just you know on a swivel. I didn't know what the hell I was doing yeah. out there. But the coach kind of took me under his wing and says, "Hey man, I really think you can be really good. Just really need to concentrate on some football skills." And so we started lifting weights, doing football skills, and then the next year we ended up going to the playoffs, and that's when Coach Osborne ended up coming to my house and offered me a scholarship. Um, like in the middle of like my senior year kind of thing. But it was all because the coaches saw something in me, my yeah. high school coaches, and they ended up calling down to Lincoln. And they Dang. said, listen, this kid can play. Yeah. Like he's not going to be on the prep stats. He's not going to be, you know, four-star, five-star, one-star. But if you give him a scholarship, yeah. he's going to produce. And I had some issues going over there when I first got there. But once I got there, you know, um, I think what happened was I like playing tight end, yeah. but I'm just a defensive player. So I got there, and at first, they started me off at tight end. I started, you know, I was a good blocker. Yeah. But when you're tight end, you got to be able to catch and run, yeah. right? And so <laughs> I learned real fast, like, I can catch sometimes. Yeah. The hitting <laughs> not is all, the sure thing. That's not the, all the time. That's the bread and butter. And plus, I got lit up by this All-American named Tony Velan, who used to play for us. He actually ended up going and winning a Super Bowl with the uh, Denver Broncos with uh, Orange Crush? Elway, right? Yeah. So anyway, I ran across the middle one day, and the quarterback left me high and dry. And I went up there as a freshman, just go, go and get it. And I grabbed it and tony lit me up and that was like the last time i wanted to play tight end <laughs> I, saw, I think uh if i remember the stat correctly online one catch six yards at my oh yeah that might have been um yeah that was in an actual game when yeah. they actually caught it yeah so i mean i blocked most of the record book man yeah like, dude, nobody can take that away from you yeah that was probably the offside of the fourth read you know there's nobody left so they're like just throw it to the guy he's open no one's gonna cover him and then you ended up winning two national championships well so when you first go there i was one of those guys that needed to red shirt in order because i was skinny i needed to these guys are huge bulk you up. know yeah i needed to bulk all the, up and the corn-fed nebraska boys who've been oh, ready man. for this all their and, lives and these were the monsters when we got yeah. down there i don't know what happened to our team since i left but hey these guys were the monsters and so 
I had to spend my whole first season lifting weights. Yeah. My sophomore season was actually my actual, you know, freshman season. I was still playing tight end. And I practiced with these guys every single day. We obviously went down there and um, they won the national title. I wasn't playing in those games. So though it's credited to me, I like to give the credit who it's due to. It's due to those players that are on the field. But then in two years later, you know, Scott Frost ended up starting in 1996 after he transferred, spent a year on the scout team. Um, and then 1996 was probably his worst year that he's ever had because we ended up going to Arizona State that year and we were rated like number two or something. They ended up shutting us out. They had Jake the Snake at that time. Oh, 19, Jake Plummer, yeah. Yeah, 19 nothing. It was the loudest I ever, and you know, Scott just got ridiculed to death because of the way he played. And we Scott got Frost, shut out. Uh, current Nebraska football current head Nebraska coach. Current Nebraska head coach. Yeah. And he, that was a rough year for him. But credit to him because he stuck with it. And the very next year, they came back and we won national title. We ended up beating Peyton Manning in the Orange Bowl. Um, and the rest is history. So, in 1997 was our second national title. Actually, third in like three or four years because 94, 95, 97. So, I was recruited in 94. Freshman in 95. By the, by the best team in the country, yeah. the best coach in the country. The best coach in the country came to your house. Yes. You know, my story yeah. is kind of similar, too. Uh, <laughs> I, was a, I was a bit of a project player in the seventh grade at Alabama Christian Academy, and then I was a bit of a project player in eighth grade, and then in ninth grade, I, I really turned the corner and became like a, a full-time project player. And then 10th grade and 11th grade, I started getting some interest from schools uh, to apply for non for non football related things and then i just didn't play football in college so very very similar um you know it's it's eerie the parallels basically yeah that's what i'm yeah so you and i i kind of can relate college athlete one year of ultimate frisbee and and for our club teams i basically the same (laughs) well there was another guy that got a scholarship with me his name is adam jolch we were good friends and still are he was an offensive tackle, and so we kind of played next to each other, and then when I became defensive end, we ended up playing against each other. So it was a good little parallel, and uh, you know, we ended up showing up in our senior year. We ended up winning the Big 12 championship, and this was still the voting system. So oh, if they yeah. had voted us into the national title, because we were third, and uh, we would have played Florida State, or we would have played Virginia Tech with Michael Vick at the helm. Was oh, that the, wow. Was that the Chris Winkie year? No. It, What's the ooh, guy's name? That might, you might be right yeah. about that. I know it was. I think um, it's too early for who, Chris who's that? Who's that awesome the receiver? Dude, right? that, like Florida that used to play for the Ravens. Oh, fuck, I forget his uh, name. The one that played for the Ravens? Yeah, he was just he was amazing. Then he got traded, and then he played for San Francisco. Anquan Bolden. Anquan Bolden. A- Anquan Bolden, is. Uh, he was playing for say Florida been, State at that time. It may have been Anquan Bolden. Because he was a quarterback in college, yeah. right? So, and we really felt like, you know, at that time, we would have killed Florida State. Yeah. But Florida State ended up playing Virginia Tech, and they killed them. That's and like the so. 2004 year where Auburn went undefeated, yeah. and they didn't get a chance to play for the national title. Oh, yeah. It just, it's upsetting. Because after we beat, because um, we played the defending national title that year against Tennessee yeah. in the Fiesta Bowl, we beat them 31-21. They had like three like first round draft pick running backs in that game. Was that had, Jamal like, Lewis, Travis was this Henry. The year after Travis Peyton Henry. graduated, or was Peyton still? Well, the Peerless Price was on that team yeah, too, wasn't he? He was yeah. as a receiver. They, so they had and they had Tim they Martin stacked. as a, they were stacked. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah as a quarterback, him. and so then we ended up winning that game, and they ended up rating us number two at the end of the season. That's so Virginia Tech ended up rated number three anyway, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, and it was what it was. We lost to Texas earlier in that year. And then we had a, um, a a rubber band game where we rematched them in the Big 12 championship and we crushed them. So it's like they didn't even give us our shot, even though we avenged the one yeah. loss we had. So. Well, and, and since then, things have not been as good. Uh, today, uh, that's a slight understatement. Nebraska yeah. loss was at 17 nil. 
<laughs> 17 nil. Not even close. That's what I saw at one point. It was 17 It was 17. Nil. Yeah, you know, it was 10-0. And then I got it. I think it was 10-3. Then it was 17-3. Oh. But they ended up getting it to 24 17 i think or 24 21 or to like that. the mighty troy trojans of troy alabama about 30 minutes south of montgomery alabama that's the uh the third rate team in alabama although auburn's playing like a third rate team today um and that's got a sting and that's not the first time that troy's beaten nebraska it's the second i believe wow yeah well thanks for that historical personal uh, personal shot you're, you're welcome no i mean basically uh what I have seen over there is just just like what Scott's trying to do now. There was a change of culture. It's got to be. And I, I can tell you exactly what happened. It was Callahan who really started this off. But there's a hallway over there at Nebraska. And you have to walk down this hallway to get to the training room, to get your you know, your tape to get to the um, the film room. You must walk through this hallway almost every single day. And this hallway is pictures of our All-Americans all the way back to when we, they were, you know, leather helmets and Black stuff. Black and white, yeah. Yeah, and so what's good about it is as you're walking down this hallway every single day, you're looking at the best of the best that ever played for Nebraska. It's inspiring for you to look at these guys and say, I want my picture up there, you yeah. know. And every single day I did that. So when Bill Callahan came in, he decided he's going to take down all that old shit because that doesn't mean anything to him, and it shouldn't mean anything to the current players because he doesn't want them to be bothered by the traditions and the history of Nebraska. Is Callahan the, who wanted to coach the Raiders? Yes, that guy? yes. Yeah. Well, I think it was after that. Oh, after, yeah. 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 So he completely ruined it. We ended up having horrible seasons. There was, you know, he, he wouldn't let the old players around, didn't want them to talk. I mean, national championship it's old a, players who wanted a, to. He must have a huge ego, this uh, guy. <laughs> and then that wasn't the only one. So then we yeah. ended up getting Bo Pelini, who really brought back crazy. some great for us. And he was, a, he was a yeller and a screamer, which is unlike the coaches that we're used to. Like Coach Osborne, he was just real quiet. He's somber. But trust me, he can get angry. But he's never lets you see it. Yeah. Ever let you see it. And he's just classy. You know, and these other Bo Pelini lost it like he lost his shit on the sidelines so many times. And it was just ridiculous. And he looked like a cartoon character. Yeah, exactly. So I know and then, you know, we had um Mike Riley and I might have missed one coach in there, but Mike Riley Riley was a really nice guy and, and there is no doubting that. Unfortunately, he had a losing record coming from Oregon State yeah. and I don't understand how you can get a million dollar contract when you've never actually beat Oregon. You know, in your own conference. They had one good year where you had Brandon Cook, Cooks. <sighs> yeah. yeah, Brandon Cooks, the guy that plays plays for the Saints now, and then uh, that was it. And and this this is why the hiring process and the vision that they had for the football team after Coach Osborne retired and the old coaches left, and they've kind of washed out that system. It was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So what Scott Frost has done since he's gone back is just amazing. He's brought in back old coaches, old trainers. He's brought in back um, old nutritionists that used to work there when we used to work there. He invited the players back to come talk to him. We have some of the you know the best players that ever played here, honestly, like Grant Wistrom and Jason Peter going back, giving talks before games now. That's the kind of stuff these guys need. They put the pictures back up, and he's yeah. bringing back their traditions. So unfortunately i think it's going to be a long road um what I, I mean yeah. saban turned it around at bama so quick i mean a lot of it's recruiting and let's not forget that he lost to louisiana monroe at alabama like it hasn't always it's it's, it's a rebuilding process yeah and you know in nick saban alabama they're always a target you know so you're always gonna get everybody's best game right now everybody with us no one's scared of us anymore we yeah. don't you know bring the fear into anybody when we walk into the stadium and we used to do that so we would just have weapons, though. I mean, we would have one of the best running backs in the nation. We'd have an option quarterback that you couldn't bring down or was faster, like Eric Crouch was so fast it was ridiculous or just had tons of grit and could pass and run like Scott. 
you know, we just haven't had the threat. And all of a sudden, we get this Adrian Martinez guy who he starts as a true freshman last week. I don't know if you guys watched this game, but in the fourth quarter, he was pretty much killing these guys, and he goes down with a weird um, leg injury. Well, Scott Frost took that video and referred it to the Big Ten and the Big 12, and I looked at the video. Basically, what you got on the ground there is Martinez is pinned on the ground, and he has a player from Colorado taking his ankle and putting it in kind of like in a jiu-jitsu foothold and then rolling it Jesus. like this. And so basically, it tweaked his knee. And, I mean, if you just any – I I've, I did jiu-jitsu up in Papa Claire for three years, and I can tell you this much. My coach has showed me when, when someone has you in that locked position in a foothold, yeah. you just rolling the wrong way can tear your ACL oh, yeah. easily. And I'm surprised his ACL is not torn. And so they've uh, referred the so tape. So it's not torn? It's not. And it, it looks like it's a strain, but he didn't play one lick today. Sure. And if you looked at what his game film looked like on just the first game he played in Colorado, he's he's electric, man. He's amazing. Yeah. So, But the problem was is they had a quarterback battle during the two days this year, and this guy named Gebbia. Um, was his was the backup well he found out that he wasn't going to be playing they're going to start this true freshman the very next day this guy transfers to oh. oregon state yeah and so and so what happens is in the game he gets hurt now we're bringing in our third string fourth string fourth string quarterback and there's nothing wrong with andrew bunch he's a good kid he's just not adrian martinez so he couldn't get us past colorado and today was ridiculous he couldn't get us past troy well so, you know, and the defense couldn't, you know, and we're still having the same problems with the defense. These new offenses today, I'll tell you what, though, like, they're a lot different than the day I used to play. You sound it's so it, old right now. Yeah, it's yeah. not It's not like lined up in front of someone and just, you know, we, we come at you, you come at us. There's be a lot of trickery too. going in yeah, there. Yeah. There's a lot of emotions and sets and, you know, the, the run and uh, shoot that the UH runs. It's dangerous. That's you get the nice right offense. players in the right places. Yeah. Yep. Just like uh, St. Louis, you watch them year after year with the same offense. Just get a different quarterback that did can you, throw uh, back there. And they're throwing bombs every yeah. single Speaking year. of UH, did you watch the UH game today? What, what ended up being the score? I couldn't watch any football after my team did that. So I kind of no, just turned 28, it 21, yeah, Army, Army won. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But they were on such a good roll. I know if uh, freaking, uh, I don't want to blame it all on. Game tying TD batted down in the end zone with like a minute left on oh, fourth down. Man. I don't oh. want to blame it all on Ursua, but Ursua had a lot of drops today. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? He was trying to catch with his body, catch with your hands. Oh, yeah. Are you going to watch the, uh, the, the Hawaii battle later this afternoon? What Hawaii battle? Uh, Alabama Old Miss. Tua versus uh, oh, Jordan Thompson. Well, first Tom of all, it. it's so funny. You know, like anytime any Hawaii player, you know, starts doing good, I get all these inbox messages. Did you see this guy play? Do you know this guy? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Me and Tua, <laughs> you know, me and yeah. Mariota, you know, we yeah. go way back. Yeah. yeah. No, I, t I just tell everybody, look, man, I watch TV like anybody else and I evaluate what I see. Tua was amazing in high school. It was like everybody was standing still. This kid was yeah. passing, running, outrunning everybody, scoring yeah. touchdowns, spinning. He's a freak. He was a freak. And so when he got in, I was like, this Jalen Hurts guy ain't nothing, man. Put Tua in. He can pass. And what happened? He won the national championship. And then he gets into that first game. And I watched that first game. He embarrassed Jalen. He's the only one that can make those kind of passes. Yeah. Jalen can't make those passes. No, he can't. You know, and Tua is just, he's just better. I mean, if you're just going to be honest about it, he's just better. He's better. And he, he deserves all the... There's no shame in uh, being worse at football than Tua Tagovailoa. No, it's not. And he is, he's a, and he throws left-handed too, right? Yeah, he's a lefty. He, he's, he's, he's amazing, So he's dude. hard for defenses. He, he's, oh, dude, he's amazing. Oh, wait, I have a question. Hey, talking about, like, you're from Nebraska, but, like, how'd you end up in Hawaii? Well, that is a good, kind of a good yeah. question. Um, how I ended up in Hawaii was this. So my only brother came to Nebraska with me. He walked on instead of getting a scholarship. Um, he he wanted to play football. Shout what out he to wanted Colin. To do. Yeah, Colin, Colin Wills. So he decided to transfer to UH. And that's my only brother. That's my only family. And, like, I always try to tell people, you know, I'm Hawaiian. 
but the only Hawaiians I ever grew up with or ever knew was my dad, my brother. Sure. That's yeah. it, you know. So my dad was living in Omaha. He wasn't moving. My brother already took the chance and moved. And so after I got out of football and I was done, um, I had a chance to go play, and I was being contacted. I was going to be a free agent. You know, I, I wasn't going to get drafted. Um, I had hurt my my knee on the very last play of Tennessee, a game. Uh, and good. so it, it there was just a strain. But the problem was I couldn't run for about a month, you know, to let it oh, heal. Oh, so you couldn't do pro day and stuff like that? <clears throat> no, I did the pro day. Oh. But the problem was when I ran my 40 in pro day, it was slow. slower than my freshman year. It was like yeah. 519. Oh, and I had run good. like a 4, you know, 85, 479 right in there. Yeah. You know, and that would have been good enough, yeah, you know. Right. I'm not trying to say I'm a speedster, but at the same time, I'm not slow. And I'm not that slow. So 519 was embarrassing. And I told these guys, like, look, man, my knee is still just not 100%. I'm just building it back up. So this personnel director for uh, Pittsburgh Steelers called me up and says, hey, you know, get your, lose a little bit of weight, you know, get your knee healthy. We'll give you a tryout. You know, you can come here and put the pads on. And if you make it, you make it. I was like, okay, sounds good. So I'm up in the gym by myself, you know, and I'm just playing basketball, shooting around. No one around me. Go up to dunk the ball, blow oh, no. up my ACL. Oh. So this is like, I'm halfway out of my just graduated got through the pro day i'm like into the summer or no right way. in the spring oh. just blew out my knee so i get no shot Shit. i have to go get the aco nebraska was kind enough to do the surgery That's for good. me so i got onto my feet but then I'm in crutches and I'm working at a telemarketing company one like a few months after I graduated college. And that's got to be a weird feeling. Oh, you're like, and you're I'm like, like, I used to be playing football and yeah. here I am like, I had a shot at the NFL. Yeah. And so then finally, um, I had a buddy who who made it in Buffalo Bills, best friend still, his name Sheldon Jackson. He was a tight end. Oh yeah. And my old roommate. And so Sheldon ended up playing for the Buffalo Bills and. Um, after 9-11 happened, he called me up and says, man, I need you to help me move all my, he's from Chino, California. I said, I need you to help me move all my stuff from Buffalo out to Chino, back to Chino. So I was like, okay. So he flew me out there and then we drove across the country in a dually truck with his two Rottweilers and two Harleys in tow across, um, Buffalo, New York. And now the Olympics are going on. So we didn't want to go around. So we went around Utah. Oh, this is like February 2004? Yeah, no, 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 no. 2001, 2001, 2000. I think it was a Winter Olympics or something like that. So you had been working at this telemarketing company doing and, odd jobs, things and, like that. And I just said, screw it. Went out there, helped my friend. He paid for everything. And so he asked me, okay, man. And once we got to California, I helped him move. He goes, I'll give you anything you want. You let me know. I says, listen, all I want is a one-way ticket to Hawaii. You buy me the one-way ticket to Hawaii, I'm moving there no matter what. So I packed up my stuff, went home, showed my parents a ticket. They're like, what the hell? And I'm like, they offered to buy me a car if I went to grad school there and just stayed home there. And I'm like, I don't want to be here. What did they want you to go to grad school for? Just anything I wanted to. And I wasn't even thinking grad school at this time. I was just like, man, whatever. I, I just don't want to be here. So I left. And when I got to Hawaii, um, basically I had no place to live. I, I was already a trainer. I had went through the personal training thing. So I transferred here as a personal trainer. And I spent like say the first three months living in my brother's dorm room and then when he had to move out of there me and a couple other football players who no, i wouldn't i wouldn't want to say we were homeless at the time but we had nowhere to stay so they broke into some of the empty dorm rooms in the summer and we stayed in there like four of us wow. for like three months for the summer wow after that me and my brother and i got a place to live and we had air mattresses and no furniture for a whole year dang yeah, and well, then and you were just training. That was your that was, I was your a job. personal trainer, and it wasn't making any money because you have to have clients, and you always have you can only bill for one hour at Twenty Four yeah. Fitness. 
So it's like I didn't have enough clientele. My first paycheck from 20 Hour Fitness was $87. Oh, that's not a lot of money. My second one after taxes was 89 Oh, gosh. It was brutal. It was brutal. I was always calling home. I need a little help. I need, I need yeah. to get by right now. So I used my social work degree, and I ended up getting, going to Halikipa, um, um, helping Hands Hawaii, Care Hawaii, just picking up jobs, starting to work regular jobs. Then there was a period where I was homeless there too. Had a full time job. Had to live out of my car for two months because no I, way. When you put so when you're applying for apartments, stay here in Hawaii. How they do it is they put you on a list. Yeah. And if they do a credit check, if you have no credit or your credit is low, then they rate you sure. in the top two or three. So I would get rated, and I was always be like three or four. First two take it, you're off the list. Yeah. Right? I couldn't get a place to live. So I'm living out of my car for three months, you know? And so that those two homeless periods, like one where I'm living with my brother in the dorm room and we're living in a broken in dorm room for three months. And then the three months I lived with a full-time job now, you know, social work job yeah. out of my car. And that's more, and most homeless in Hawaii are actually working, right? Uh, yes, they are. Yeah. Or two or three jobs just yeah. to... You know, just to make, not have a just home, to, yeah. Just have some money to spend on food. Yeah, that's what the most expensive thing is here. You know, so. But yeah, so and then how it all ended up getting into law school is it's just a basically I after seven years of social work I had my son. Yeah. He comes out. I'm a single parent, and I just said, you know what, I got to do something different. You know, I got to start trying to make some money or doing something. Applied for law school or uh, not applied for law school. I applied for this job. Had an interview by Judge Browning and Judge Broderick, and it was a. It's a JDAI. It was a. I don't know if the position is even there, but I went in there with a stack of papers like this, and I was told I read all this stuff before I came to this interview. I'm studied. They were in love with me, and uh, Judge Roger called me and he says, "Listen, done interviews for the judiciary for a long time. That was probably the best interview I've ever done. I tell you what, if you think about going to law school, want to become a lawyer, I think you might. You know, maybe you can be a good one. I was like, but you're gonna have to make the decision. And if you think about doing, you let me know, and we'll work together." So, you know, I thought about it and I says, you know, hey, look, man, the only reason why I've never been given a shot, never thought I was smart enough to do it. You know, no one's ever told me, hey, you're smart. You know, you could do this. So the first person to ever tell me that, I just says, what do I have to lose? Right. So I call him up and we put her, you know, apply for law school and I get denied. And I call up all my, re you know, references and I tell them, you know, I don't know what to do. You know, I got denied. And they tell me, well, it's a test. Do you really want this or not? It's like, if you're just going to take no, then hey, you didn't get in. So I says, okay. So Judge Broderick says, okay, I'm going to step this up a little bit. I'm going to introduce you to this guy named Judge Mike Town. And so he introduces me to Judge Mike Town, and he has, and Judge is still on the bench at this time. And you were working for this judge at this point, right? No, 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 not okay. yet. So I basically volunteered for Judge Mike Town for six months. I treated it like a regular job. After the first two days, I just asked him, do you care if I come here, you know, <clears throat> 745 in the morning till 430 every day? I don't have anything else to do. What were you doing for money at this point? I was at basically this is the this is the sweet thing about it. So my dad and my mom worked hard their whole life. They had money saved up. I told them this is my last shot. I'm gonna and they believed me and they basically supported me for for six months. Last shot is in like I, this is my last shot and I'm coming back to Nebraska if I don't. No, do no, it. no. Last shot as in this is my last shot at anything in life like a career oh <laughs> to make money. I says you know because the social work thing ain't working. Yeah, me. yeah, I mean it's a lot of hard work, no glory and sure. no pay. You know. Yeah. And I don't, I don't care about the glory. It's just the pay part. Yes, I know? need a little bit of money. Exactly. Yeah. So I basically, you know, I volunteered for Judge Town for six months. We did murder trials. We did everything. He treated me like a regular employee. I was a regular law clerk. Actually, because he was retiring at the end in October, his other law clerk quit and moved on to get another job. And so I was doing the whole show by myself for, for two, free. two months for free. But as a law clerk with no experience, yeah, just yeah. as a volunteer. And he was showing me, you know, they had good staff in there that was letting me know. 
So then he retires and then starts his own private mediation company. And he calls me up and he says, listen, I hire you as my only employee. And so I started working for him for his mediation company. We started doing mediations. And then um, he told me this, like we were driving one day. He says, listen, I don't know if you um, are going to get into law school. I can't tell you that or not because I don't know. But I will tell you this. I think you can be a great lawyer. I'm going to try to teach you everything I know. And I'm just going to dump as much knowledge as I can in you because I had asked him to be my mentor. So sure. he was kind of responding. He was like, well... And I'm going to teach you everything I know, and we're just going to go through this day by day. What a mentor. What a mentor to have. Great. And so once, right after that was the next um, round to apply for law school again, and I did. I put his name on there, and I redid my application, and I got in, given the legal experience I did. That's awesome. Thing was, is he taught criminal law as an adjunct professor that first summer. So I took criminal law from him. Very cool. And it was... uh, How'd you do? It was crazy. I, I wrote a pretty good... But I didn't understand how to do legal analysis yet because we hadn't yet really gotten into it. So um, what happened was after that brief summer, then we went into... I was basically doing briefs. So my first year of law school, this is crazy, we get this huge mediation and, and Goodsill is one of the um, members of the mediation. They, they're very thorough. They send this thousand-page brief to judge, mm-hmm. like top to bottom with exhibits. It's like this, this big. And I have to read this and, and dissect it and then come up with a memo for him. Yep. So he reads everything too, but then takes my thoughts and then we go back and forth and kind of moot court the whole thing so that we know the kind of issues going back and forth. And I'm doing this plus the whole case workload that we have your first year of law school. Oh, yeah, which is crazy. Oh, my first year of law school was hell. I mean, I was just reading, reading, reading. I was just, you know, bags under the eyes, reading 12 hours a day, you know. And some of the stuff you can't even, like, how can I even remember what I read two months ago? It's almost impossible. So... But that's how I ended up in law school. That's how I ended up in Hawaii. It's a, it's a very long story, but um, you know, I basically just wanted to come here, be closer to my family. And as my brother and I would tell you, you know, we didn't get any like I don't want to call it Hawaiiana, but you know, the, any kind of upbringing with yeah. the language, the teaching. So you jumped in like head first. Yeah, yeah, and we were already, you know, I was old, so to speak, when yeah. I got here, like 24, 25, so 23 or 24. Did, you, did you get, when you moved back, did you get a lot, when you met other Hawaiians, you got a lot of like, what What do you mean you don't know? Like, Well, no, I think they can tell, because yeah. when, you, when you kind of speak to me, you can kind of hear that I'm not from here locally, so they kind of tell, oh, where are you from? That's the first thing I get. And the second thing is you can, I'm just, I just be try to be humble about it, man. Yeah. Like, I don't know, so yeah. if I'm doing something, I, I want to learn. You know, and that's really just the line I give people. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff I did not know. <laughs> I cannot admit that honestly. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Well, then after after you graduated, I mean, what's been your path since then? I graduated law school. Yeah. Okay, so since I graduated law school, um, basically it was then passing the bar, and you know that's a beast. And it's not easy. It, it's not. And you know what? For me, and this is from me taking the bar. I had to take the bar a few times, and Here's what I get from taking the Can bar. Can I ask how many times? You you may. I'm not I'm not ashamed of it at all. I pass it on my fourth take. Hell okay. yeah, dude. Pass it on my fourth take. And, you, and, and, I, sorry, I'm just like, stop. Like, I love this story because it's like you had this thing where you're going to go to the NFL and then it didn't work out. And then like this tragic thing happened. You're like, all right. And then you gut it out for a few years. And you're like, all right, I'm going to go to law school. And then it doesn't work out. And you're like, all right, I'm just going to keep gutting it out. And then you get in. And then you graduate, and you're like, I'm gonna take the bar, and it doesn't work out. But what you and do? you gut it out, and gut then you take out. it again, and it doesn't work out. And then you take it again, and it doesn't work out. And then you take it again. It's just like, man, you will just not quit. Well, you know, what? you're I the gotta, kind of attorney that I would want. You gotta respect that, man. <laughs> no, That's, dude. Like, yeah. for those of you listening, uh, to hear somebody had to take the bar a couple of times, it may sound like a negative, but actually, it's an extreme positive because really, what you want in an attorney is someone who will never quit working yep. for what you want. 
And it's very obvious from this man's story that he will not quit working until a task is done. Yeah, you know, actually, that's been kind of a theme throughout sports with me. It's like, you know, my coach always talks about having a denominator you're born with and having a numerator that you can affect and try to maximize. So if I'm born with five, I got to try to maximize my five talents, right? So I was a guy that wasn't born with 100 talents. You know, I might have been born with 10, but just never quit. Try to get to your maximum and just never quit. You know, um, going back to what we were just talking about. So taking the bar four and times. And so now you're, you're hanging your own shingle. Yes, yes. So I, so this is my take on taking the bar for a time. So, you know, when you take your last law exam, right, and then you have, what, about a week, two weeks after the last I law exam. I think exam, it was 10 days for us. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's a super rushed time period. And, and honestly, I you know you have family here. You're trying to, you know, celebrate. You graduated law school. You got all this stuff going on. And then you also have how tired you are and exhausted from studying for your last bar exam, oh, yeah. or last uh, oh, yeah. law exams. It's not easy. Those oh, law then, exams are hard. And you've got three years of like just accumulated stress the, and anxiety. Yeah, and you exactly. want to you want to like have the the release, the catharsis of that yeah. three year. And you don't. Field. And you then, don't then what you have to do is jump into the super intense eight week program. Yeah. That, okay. That's uh, like ten hours a day. It's ten hours a day. There's really no stop. And it, there's no cranking. And then what's worse about this is that when you take the practiced exams and the practice written ones, you do so bad that I don't oh, even yeah. know how you pull your self esteem oh. up after no, you take every, some. Every single one of it is is about attitude and approach. Very little of it is like, actually, it's about exactly like gutting it out. Josh yeah. and I did bar study together, and I remember thinking two weeks before the test. There's no way I can pass this. I was like looking at my my practice tests and I'm like, how did I get that bad? Well, just to be able to have to memorize, what is it, like 17 different subjects and then only be asked six or seven questions on those. So it's like, you know, you can know secured transactions, but are you even going to need it? So I got to the point where I figured it out. It was like, so the first time I did the bar, it was eight weeks I got to study it just wasn't enough. I got my scores. I was like this close, probably two points away from passing. Oh, no. And I was pissed. But looking at it, I'm like, okay. So the next time I ended up having to get a job, okay? And so um, what were you a doing? Good, uh, good classmate of mine got a job offer. She called me up and said, hey, would you mind taking over um, my clerkship with Judge Alm? And I had oh, yeah. already you know, volunteered for you know, a couple of judges. So I said, sure, I'll jump in. I'll take the job. It's a full-time job. Now, he was doing hope probation. So I don't know if you've ever been in hope probation, but it's a very, very busy calendar. And either you pretty much walk in at 745 and you're working until 430. And so you don't have much time to study, have, study for the bar. And then you're exhausted well, and then at also, the end of that day. Uh, you mentioned earlier you have a child. At yeah. this point, yeah, you were, I, I you were a single dad this entire yeah, time too. Sing, single dad, single dad with custody. Yeah, single dad with custody. So well, it's not like you're just doing like dad duty every other weekend. Like you you're are there every you the single Buck's day. Do, yeah. yeah, and it and it gets even you know it gets even crazier. So basically, what I learned was it was eight weeks. I'm working. I get an opportunity to take the bar in February, but I'm still working. So um, judge basically tells me, okay give you some time off. I take 10 days off, but I'm kind of studying at the end of night, maybe a couple hours here, weekend, sure. four or five hours there. And I've already done one bar study. So I'm thinking, oh, I'll just, this will just osmosis in and I'll get it all, right? That's not how it works. No, it's not how it works. Oh, so yeah. I show up there for the pretty much 10 days of hard studying yeah. and, and failed again. And so then I how, says- Were you further away this time on your score? I, I, I was about, just about the same, but a little less. Oh. So I was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is just, this is killing me. So every time you fail, you have to understand, psychologically, you're like, is it worth the money? Yeah. Sure. going to pass. Because it's expensive. And the stress. And your family's like, like, are you going to get a job? Or yeah. what are we going to do yep. with all yeah. this debt no, that you just sure. took on? 70 grand in, in law school debt, and oh, now you don't 70? have a job to pay for anything? Yep. 
So the third time I take it, it's at the end of Judge Alm's um, clerkship, and I take a whole month off. I, I quit a month early before that's over. We get our replacement oh, in, no. and I only studied for three weeks this time. Not 10 oh, days, no. three whole weeks. And I said, I got it. I felt better. Yeah. Go oh, in there. No. Another fail. Oh, uh, no. You, so, what was your score? So I actually, I can't even remember, but I, I would know it was fail. And I looked at it and my, um, my essay grades came up a little bit, but my, what did, I mean, what do you, what the, did you do? Like whenever, whenever that, whenever you read that, what do you, how do you, how do you build, react? How did you go through building yourself back up? No, basically point? I'm just down and out. I mean, you know, did you cry? Oh, absolutely. I cried. Absolutely. I cried on the first one and the second one, I kind of just said, okay, that was 10 like, days right. studying. You're like, yeah, I, I, but I the sort third of... one. And after I paid for it again yeah. and, um, everything, and this is all coming out of money I'm earning sure. from yeah. Judge Alm. Man, I was just like, okay, so I paid for those two. So what I did was I took those two failures and I says, listen, mom, dad, I paid for these two. I know you guys paid for the first one. It's like, I need some extra. I, I, I just need to pass this thing. And so my mom, I sat them down and says, listen, it's not eight weeks. I think I need 12 weeks. I need to start from December, like January 1 or sorry, December one. And then I took this course out in New York, New York city. And I still have the stuff and I forget the name of the course, but funny thing was, is he teaches you how to think about the question in reverse. And so basically what it was, was read the question first, skim the answers. And then, oh, I'm sorry, you read, yeah, you read the call, the question, skim the answers. Then you go up to the story part. Yeah. Okay. And then you read that part. You know what you're looking for. And you know what you're looking for. And then he, he says, the next thing you do after you get that, you get down to the bottom and then you eliminate the wrong answers first. Well, A, C, D. And then if you only have one left, it comes down to two. He gives you these little tricks, how to pick the law over the, you know, the fact or the opinion. And guess what? After that first month, I did that course. All of a sudden, things are on the tip of my tongue. And then I did. I, I called up one of my other law school buddies that had passed. He gave me all his old bar stuff that he had, and I went through it all just you know single-handedly by myself, creating outlines for everything. And I sat down for that test, as nervous as I was for the first four. And I said, "This is it. This is it. If I don't know if I can afford to keep doing this." And I took it, and wouldn't you know, I passed. And as soon as I passed, did you cry um, then? Man, it was a joyful day. Yeah. I, I ain't gonna lie. I mean, Hallelujah. After doing a four day, four times, you just you got tears. Everybody's crying for you. Yeah, my man. mom and dad cried. My, my dad was still alive. I couldn't even believe it. Everybody was just like, I can't believe you passed. I'm glad you got like, to see that. Yeah, it was awesome. When was, was really the date awesome. that you found? Like, do you remember the day you found? It was out? in February. So yeah. I was gonna tell you like right after that. Then Jim Wright calls me up and hires me to work, and he wants to establish this thing called the Quantico Research Foundation. So I'm not licensed yet because I hadn't been sworn in and my MPRE expired. Oh, Except no. Oh. Yeah. So out of all this crap, I got to wait another six the months. Ethics. It all comes back to ethics. Yeah, and I had already passed that it once. That is the most boring test. Oh, God. Study for it. It's not hard. It's just So, so the, here's what's crazy, it's crazy about it. So I, I had a chance to take it in, in September, but my brother is getting married in August. So I decided to make this big trip and go over there and take it and then fly back for my brother's wedding. I end up failing the MPRE. Oh no! And I have to take it in November, or or else ah. my my bar may expire because you only get one November year. November this year? Yeah. No, this yeah. is like when I got. Oh bar. my god! I, my heart started yeah. beating so fast. <laughs> so <laughs> I studied my butt off for that thing and passed it like flying colors in November. <laughs> but yeah, then I get sworn in in December, and then um, in November I quit working for Quantico. I did a six months thing with her, established the foundation, did a bunch of research for Jim. And then in December, when I got sworn in, I got sworn in on Judge Town's deck with a couple of other guys who had been with me, you know, throughout the whole process. And uh, right after that, I got a call from this guy named Sonny Gannadin, who had been an attorney for a while. 
and he hired me as his paralegal for this death penalty case that one of our prisoners from Hawaii was in in Arizona. Mm. Arizona wanted to put him to death for a murder that he committed. So the Arizona defense team hired two attorneys that, or one attorney out here and he hired me as his paralegal. I was making 50 bucks an hour. He was making 181 an hour. And we were basically just uh, working the case, you know, from the Hawaii perspective. And it was a great first case. And that is when Judge Town says, you know what? You got a lot of experience. You got mediation experience. You got murder trials. You got all this stuff you've yeah. done with me. You should probably just hang out your own shingle and just start building up your business because now you can take on clients. Yeah. So I did and wouldn't oh, know yeah. it within the first year. I got like three divorce clients. I um, I got a contracts client. You're taking anything that so comes in the door right now. It is. So I I, I was going to correct you about the criminal defense attorney because that's what I thought I was going to be. Oh, good. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm a general practitioner. Yeah. So Jack of all trades. Yeah. And then wouldn't you know, I got a couple of friends of ours um, from law school that you guys know. I won't say his name here just because of client confidentiality, but... Um, he approached me and said that he had a um, a relative that got hurt, and so then I got my first PI case. Oh yeah, and then that personal, guy uh, personal injury. For yeah, personal case. injury, and then that guy, my, my first PI case, referred me to a friend of his that got and just snow, injured, snow and snow I got another right? PI case. Yeah. And then you know another family member of mine, you know, called me up and says I have some issues, and so I got another PI case. So wouldn't you know it? I got three PI cases. We're all trying to. We're all at the settlement phases of all these cases now. And uh, I'm still doing court-reported attorney stuff and uh, mostly uh, in family court. So I'm doing a lot of family court Dude, stuff. So Respect the hustle. Are man. you liking it? Well, you know what's the hardest part about it is understanding all these filing rules with like the electronic filing. That was not, a direct, that was not a direct answer. Crazy. Yeah, it, that's the hardest part about any, it. Any I, lawyer, ask any lawyer. They'll never. They'll not give you a direct answer to <laughs> do like your job. They'll be like, well, you know, there are, there are many things in life we weigh. Yeah. No, it's, it's you know what it is? Most attorneys get, like, for example, um, they'll do DUIs, sure. right? And that's what they'll specialize in. And I can see how you can get really good at that, but sure. I can also see how it can get super boring oh, and yeah. tiresome, right? So I've taken on the task of just taking what comes through the door, but at that time, it's always like being in law school on the first day. Like, it's like, I don't know anything about contract drafting, or I don't remember anything, so I have not to go back and review all this stuff, read cases, do the legal research, you know, and it gets... And you can't... It's like, I mean, it's hard to bill for that, right? It's hard to... Well, see, this is the thing with the clients when you're where I'm at right now. And I'm going in, my third year will be the beginning in December of having my own uh, firm open. You have to be straight up with your client. And yeah. that's what I always do. I tell them, listen, I don't have any experience in this area. Yeah. And I told that with the personal injury client. But I will read and study and work this case from yeah. top to bottom and make sure I am very well aware of what's going on, the rules. And what you got to do is you got to reach out and consult. And I did. I reached out to you know Native Hawaiian Legal Corporation, yeah. and they referred me to another attorney that was doing personal injury. Then that attorney sat me down, had a personal talk with me about things I need to get, and then gave me like name for an economist, name for independent medical evaluation person, um, per people to call, referrals. So if you don't have that kind of help, there's no way I could do what I'm doing at all. Absolutely no way. Sure. So it's a good thing that you know you. That's why I try to tell people, even though you're in an adversarial thing with the law, you don't want to be adversarial with the people you go to law school with. That's right. You, you, they're friends, you know, and uh, I can't tell you how many times friends have called me up and it says, oh, I want to refer something to you or can I talk to you about something? And it turned into some kind of business opportunity. Yeah. So it's just good to be friends. I don't understand. I know some people get into law school and it's just like, oh, I, I have to hate every idea that you don't agree with me with. But yeah. I'm just not of that kind of thinking. Um, you mentioned uh, doing work for the Kwananakoa Foundation. Yeah. 
have you have you been following the story? Is there anything you can say about some of the news that's been going on with the princess? Or well, actually, I can comment on that just you know from what I read and in, in the papers and stuff. Yeah. I don't know anything personal um, about her because when I did work for her, I never met her. I only worked for Jim as an assistant, and then we set the research foundation. So I think she would give you know Jim the indications of what she wanted to do, and then Jim would tell me, and then so it always was like that. But um, you know. My opinion about what's going on is this. She had a stroke, yeah. right? And then after she had a stroke, all of a sudden she got married. Yeah. And then all of a sudden there wants to be uh, amendments to the trust. And yeah. we want control of the trust. It, looks it just fishy. all sounds it's, fishy yeah. in Denmark, doesn't it? Yeah. And if it doesn't pass the laugh test, as we've always heard in law sure. school, yeah. and, it, and it just didn't pass the laugh test for me, you know? I mean, what should happen here, in my opinion, is that there should be an annulment of the marriage. And that in and of itself will take, you know, Miss Worth out of this whole thing. But um, the decision that Judge Browning made this last week was a good one. Um, it's actually what was already written in the trust that if, you know, Jim, the successor trustee, should be the first yeah. Hawaiian bank. So I'm glad that that part happened. And I'm also glad that um, any amendments to the trust have to be approved by the court. This is good. Yeah. So, yeah, those things are good. And also that they're going to secure this money, at least $100 million that was promised to Native Hawaiian causes. Yeah. And that it's going to go to the directors and they're going to direct it. And I trust those directors. You know, like Lily Kala, these are some of the best, you know, Hawaiian uh, yeah. leaders we have out there. So. Uh, for our listeners on the mainland, essentially, the, uh, the last living heir of the uh, the Kingdom of Hawaii royal family, uh, like Aaron said, uh, had a stroke, and then this mystery woman shows up, marries her. Well, they've uh, been in a long relationship, yeah. but all yeah. of a sudden, you yeah. know, it's marriage time. And uh, oh, I want that trust. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll be following that story. Um, let's jump back to professional football for a minute, sure. Because you posted an article yesterday, and I want to get your <laughs> I want to get your thoughts on this. Oh, this is the social media commentary. Yeah. Everything is uh, open. Uh, I like it. Like that. <laughs> you <laughs> were off Facebook a while. Well, okay. So I will. You know, when I have cases that maybe you know in the media or whatnot, I know how this works. So I always get off of Facebook, and I've I've gotten off at different points. So. But the thing is, is I don't, I like to treat Facebook as a, a social area where you can kind of just share your ideas, you know, and uh, I have gotten some crazy inbox messages. I, uh, <laughs> Remember, does your, uh, your well, Nebraska you folks, well, this is why, comments. this is why, so if you know, Nebraska is very Republican, yeah, it's, sure. it's Republican to the core. Yeah. And they're, um, they're about as red as we are blue, right? Did yeah, you grow exactly. up Republican? Oh, no way. I'm not a politician, man. I hate politics. I hate both sides, actually. But okay. I mean, I hate it to the point where I just don't like fakeness. And just sure, be real yeah. with me. Quit lying to me. You're taking special money, all that kind of stuff that's been going on for years sure. in politics. So I'm just not a politician. That's just straight out and forth. So I don't take either ideology. And what's so funny about Facebook is once you start posting certain things, yeah. you start getting in these inbox messages. Oh, you're a socialist. Oh, you're uh, this. You're that. I'm like, whoa, like, how, how did I get thrown into you, all these groups? Why do you hate America? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you must hate America. Yeah. Like, oh, I hate America now because, you know, there's all these injustices that actually did happen. And yeah. I hate them because I bring them back up. Yeah. Get out of here, man. No. So anybody, you shared the uh, CNN money, the article. Uh, oh, Nike, yeah. Nike's Colin Kaepernick gamble is already paying off. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so in you know in America we know uh, capitalism always wins the, mm. the profit motive uh, yeah. is king yeah uh, and what what is made for me what makes the Nike thing you know not different but like the real you know the tr the proof is in the pudding here uh, because Nike rents at Trump Tower Donald is not weighing in on this one nearly as much he's like oh you know well Nike is a tenant of mine they pay a lot of rent it's like oh. it's really interesting to see like 
Oh, how who is, is that? Like, their headquarters office at Trump Tower, or is it just an office? It, I think it's just an office. Okay. I think the headquarters. The headquarters is probably all in Oregon. Oh, okay. But yeah, it's, yeah, I yeah, think like right. they're yeah. probably their big New York City stuff. Oh boy. But yeah, it's all you know. Who's really offended about you disrespecting disrespecting the flag, and who is? <laughs> I honestly okay. So to be honest, I was off Facebook when this happened, and then when I got back on, everybody's talking about this Nike stuff, and I'm like, whoa, let me catch up real fast, <laughs> and I'm looking through everything, like, whoa, whoa. I was like, really? They're gonna so they're gonna support him? This is a great thing yeah, for it's him. Awesome. It's great, and not only that, but they're willing to bet. And here's the thing: they're willing to bet. That there's more people of color that buy their products than there are white people. Yeah. And I think that they made a good gamble. One thing uh, that I, if that's what the bet was. One thing that I know? saw a lot from my Republican circles, because obviously I can't escape it being where I, I'm uh, from. I can hardly um, escape it. I saw a lot of people saying like, well, so then Kaepernick didn't risk anything because he knew Nike was going to be behind him and funding him. And it's like, <laughs> no, he had no idea. This guy was, he yeah. was a, he was a, he was not an elite quarterback anymore. His brand was just okay. He had been benched at San Francisco, and then he starts protesting. There's no reason that Nike should have stood with him. I mean, he didn't have a big name. The only reason, like, I guarantee that Nike did not tell him, hey, go ahead and risk your entire career, and we'll take care of you four years no, later. No, that's three the way of later. rationalizing. Like, yeah. It can't actually be that he's concerned about It's injustice. virtue signaling, it right? It must be you're, that you're he has virtue ulterior, signaling. Yeah, yeah it's well, like, I, he can't I, really I, believe that. He just, you know, Nike's going to pay him for it. It's like, no, the guy... The guy had everything on the line. Well, this also is a statement by Nike and other companies that we're not just going to go along to get along with Donald Trump. No, you know, like this the is, Laura Ingram the, shut up and yeah, dribble thing with LeBron. E exactly, yeah. and and you know Donald Trump makes these statements and he tries to polarize everything as an us versus them, but won't define who them are. But he subtly hints who yeah. them are all the time. Yeah. We know we don't Dog have to use translation. Not the real Americans, yeah. right? Yeah. Right, and so. He always tries to make it versus us versus them. And then with this whole protest, and let's just be honest, it was about the injustice that's happening in the street of shooting by police officers of sure. people of color. He wanted that to stop. Now it's about you're disrespecting our flag, you're yep. disrespecting our army, our, our our dead veterans. Of course, they bring that in in order to sensationalize it. Absolutely. And it has never been about that. Yeah. And so the fact that Nike stood up and says, you know what, we're not going to let you polarize this. I was like, we support them. And what? And if you don't want to give him a job, NFL, which is sad, yeah. that the NFL is so scared of losing a little bit of money and going oh, against Donald Trump, pathetic. they just will yeah. not oh, stand of up. Of course, uh, of course, you know, uh, Colorado Trump, John Elway, came out and was like, "Oh, you know, we would have traded for him." Blah 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 blah. Yeah, like before, the, yeah, before the protest. Now, you know, nobody. That's yeah, almost like yeah. an appeasement statement yeah. to the to the people of color on his own team. Yeah. Like, exactly. oh, well, we tried what it to, is. but he didn't want the job. Yeah. So I've been th I've been thinking about this a lot because I uh, I subjected myself to. The um, you know who Ben Shapiro is. Ben Shapiro is that well I, he's the um he's the really banker, small former, man. Uh, is that we're talking about the same Ben yeah, Shapiro? Yeah, the, political a uh, political like conservative political commentator. Yeah, okay, short, yes, short I dude. I, I've heard of him. He's the yeah. one that created the that they came up with the the hilarious statement for conservatives to make that facts don't care about your feelings. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, you know Clay Clay Travis, uh, Fox Sports okay, uh, radio yes, host, yes. Uh, outkick the general couple, bigot, general yeah, general uh, lame dude. Um, so there is a, they had an hour long conversation basically about how sports has become too politicized. Mm. Um, you know, starting with, basically starting the Kaepernick thing. Um, and Clay Travis has basically like carved himself a niche, making millions of dollars a year as like the anti ESPN, like talking about he's, he's basically what he's trying to do is he's created a subscription service for conservative people to hear sports news through his filter. Yeah. And so what, what they say is, wow. you know, um, oh, it's, it's 
it's not just that sports is so political like nobody turns on the sports to watch to hear your politics it's also that you know conservatives aren't allowed to express their opinions you know if uh uh if if tim tebow had come out and and took an take a knee because of abortion you know yes they would have lost their shit and like Maybe he should have. Like, I have no problem with athletes expressing themselves. Like, no. I wish, I wish I had a Tim Tebow jersey to do this segment right now. <laughs> but what I like, what it comes down to ultimately, uh, Clay and Ben. Well, it's like Ben it, Tebow did do it. Like, yeah. he kneeled all the time. Yeah. He used his eye makeup to put Bible verses on. Yeah, and we like he it. was like, a, he was great for yeah. it. Yeah. And ESPN covered him tw- like twenty four seven. Yeah, but now Clay Travis is saying, "Oh, MS ESPN, like MSNBC." Oh my gosh. Yeah, and I think ultimately it's like what it always comes down to uh is white men like like me and ryan like like ben and clay we are the default neutral apolitical view everybody else oh why are you bringing identity politics into it like we're just trying to have like civility we're just ourselves and the thing like too like um like with lebron right like uh when he had when he had n-word spray painted on his garage clay travis accused him of faking it lovely yeah like lovely the gentlemen. fact that like these two, and these two guys saying like oh Ka- kaepernick's protest doesn't make sense like first well yeah why do you why are you why are we deferring to clay travis and ben shapiro about one the black experience in america <laughs> and two like what it's like <sighs> because it's yeah. just like this when you're gonna so, give when, yourself when, an when, aneurysm <laughs> I, I feel it i feel my blood pressure climbing when someone agrees with your opinion and you're a person that doesn't want to think analytically or critically about anything you'll just go where it's easy as you're in your comfort zone so clay travis is preaching to the choir the whole time doesn't preach he doesn't talk to people that are of different opinion no No. if you knew if like if you listen to what they said like they're not protesting the flag the military they're like hey man can we call some attention out of respect for the military yeah Yeah. you knee in church you need like come on you kneel to get knighted but see now now they have you know donald trump thinks he has nfl over the barrel here you know he thinks that if i keep bringing this story up you guys are going to lose money your ratings are going to go down he brings it up every time oh the ratings are so low you know and you know i donald trump is probably this this has been going on. I don't even know how long it's been going on now, but it, it has just been an eye-opening experience of what has happened to this country since mm-hmm. he's been in office. Sure. Polarizing between races. I mean, we have a horrid, horrible enough history of this country and how it was begun that we don't. We needed to come together not to be apart. Yeah. And he has pulled us apart. I mean, you can just see it. Like White people said, well, we can't express our opinion. You've been expressing your opinions yeah. for so many years yeah. that now that you think that the people of color are going to run you out of town or take yeah. all the good jobs or, you know, there's just so many of them, we can't control them. They have to go back to wherever they came from. These kind of arguments just don't hold any water with me, man. I mean, it's just like, I, I just don't understand how they don't they don't square themselves with the own history that they've created here. Yeah. Did, do you, you consider know? yourself a person of color? Oh, absolutely. I Did mean, you consider yourself a person of color in Nebraska? And were you considered? Uh, I a was. Of color? I was. Regardless of whether you want to think, you know, yeah. you are a person of color or not. When I grew up in, and I and I say this loosely, you know, I have lots of good white friends, but I call it white America. You know, I yeah. grew up in one of the whitest parts ever. I was the only Hawaiian that went to, I went to, by, by the way, I post a lot of stuff by, about Catholicism. I'm, I was a Catholic. I was yeah. born and raised Catholic. Went to a Catholic grade school first eight years before I went to high school, public high school. All right, Aaron, thank you so much for, for sitting down with us. Uh, would you mind sticking around just a few minutes for a shout out segment? Sure. No problem. Awesome. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Aaron Wills, Blue Hawaii Podcast. Go Huskers. Back in a minute. Uh, with more. Blue Hawaii. Mahalo. Blue Hawaii. Shout outs. Shout out time. Uh, Josh, who you got for shout outs this week? Uh, shout out to, did we ever, we never properly shouted out uh, Clint Dempsey on his retirement from, That's right. from soccer. Uh, 
the goat the goat the, the trailer the, park the, goat the, yeah from nagadoches texas <laughs> love uh, that guy <laughs> the like the emblem of uh what soccer in america could potentially be once Absolutely. you get it beyond like the white country club sport and you actually go to where the people who have the passion and the love are playing. Well, I think it's basketball and football's fault we're not good at soccer. I, I mean, agree. you think of all the pool of LeBron James playing get, soccer? It would be scary. I mean, Deshaun Jackson <laughs> playing soccer? You know, the, the, it's 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 popular in uh especially in American soccer circles. You know, uh, ESPN will put out that list of like, oh, LeBron would be the best goalie and Kobe would be the best striker, and it's, it's popular to hate on in the soccer circles. Like, well, those skills would not transition at all. Like, that's yes, not yeah. But just the the level of national focus. Like, not saying, like, all these guys would specifically be playing these positions, but, like, if we cared nearly as much as, like, anybody else cared, we'd be fired. If you're telling me that that a six foot seven or six foot eight, 230-pound man that runs a 4'3'5'40... Well, did, did you see Usain Bolt's uh, first appearance in soccer in the no. Australian League? You guys didn't see that? How did he do? Yeah, he did okay. Well, put it this way. When he broke away from the guy and made a move on a guy, it was amazing. Yeah. He it's was, like, like, so far ahead, but the ball came at him like a bullet. Yeah. He yeah. couldn't handle the, the touch. The, no. ball, the ball control is not, well, yeah. you know, it's not there, but his speed is amazing. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, shout out Clinton Dempsey. Yeah. And uh, Manu Ginobili as well. Uh, Manu Ginobili, yeah. formerly retired. The, uh, he brought the Euro step to the NBA. So and he's not even from Europe. That's amazing. Yeah, James Harden has him to thank for his MVP awards. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. The um the and the that means the Spurs the Spurs the old Spurs dynasty the like Duncan, uh, Ginobili Parker is officially disbanded. That's true. They're all out. They're all out. That's you, true. you haven't disbanded the king of the you know the the team yet. So until Pop That's retires, true. you know, yeah. Pop is Pop. He's always going to yeah. be one of the best coaches there is. Uh, any shout outs for you, Aaron? Uh, you know, shout out to my mentor who's been, you know, hanging with me this entire time, the learning process, Judge Mike Town. Judge and Town. Then, um, Judge yeah. Town, man. Oh, gee. Also, shout out to Scott Frost. Hey, look, I, you've dealt with this kind of pressure before. Losing Detroit We're gonna tag is, him is on not going to yeah. feel yeah. good, but you know what? Scott Frost, you guys read are, your tweets. They're on the right page, I think. I think that he's reinstilling things. It's, or, you know, it's going to take some time, but um, I give him three years before Nebraska is a top fifteen program consistently. I think that once he gets his guys in his recruiting classes in there, we're going to see some really. He's going to need the guys to come so. in, and then well, I tell you what's going to make a big difference for him is the red shirt rule. The NCAA changed the red shirt rule this year so that you can play in four games before you have to determine oh, whether awesome. you're going to red shirt or not. So, like for instance, Auburn brought in all these highly recruited freshmen and. Frequently, they have to sit a year because you know they yeah. don't show enough on scout team. But now, in the first few games, they've played like five of these guys, and they've found out they've actually got a lot of playmakers. So right. I think for Scott Frost, that'll be a really big deal because you used to have to wait. You bring a class in; they pretty much all of them need a redshirt year. Then the next year, they're all freshmen, and then it's the third year that they finally start really competing because they're sort of upperclassmen now. Yep. And that's really the year, like you were saying, you know, it's yeah. just, it takes a year of, of yeah. eating and lifting, and then. Yeah, so my shout out would be, hey Scott, just keep your head up and yeah. uh, keep plugging away. Um, it's a long season. By the end of the season, it, you you know you'll be a lot better than you were at the beginning. Yeah. And my last um, shout out is to my wife. Yeah, smart oh, man. Yeah. She she makes the you know honestly, I run this office. This is her spot right we here. We are recording She's in like Aaron's home office. Office by the way. manager and my paralegal. And she kind of runs everything, keeps me organized. Can't do it without keeps her. Keeps me going. I couldn't. How long have you guys been married now? Well, you know what's so funny? We've been together for about 10 years, and we got married last September, um, about three months after my dad passed. So it was it was a hard thing. And yeah. at the same time, she was pregnant. So she gave birth in February right after that. So, um, And we've had some new challenges even since the baby's come out. You know, my, my wife had some challenges. So, you know, 
we're just taking it day by day. We're just lucky that, you know, I can work from home. Yeah. I can spend time with my kids. Yep. They can see me come home and yep. I can drive them to and from to school. That's yep. a big deal. It's a little bit harder to do work, but it's all worth it. And she makes it worth it. Right so, on, man. Yeah. Shout out to Aaron's wife. Shout out to Mrs. Wills. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> I'm loving right. the Scott Frost, Nick Rolovich parallels, by the way. Yeah, same. Also, yeah. I want to, we, we ask everybody this question. Okay. Because we always do a restaurant shout out. Okay. What's your favorite restaurant in Honolulu? Oh, in Honolulu. Uh, you know. Your last meal. I really like breakfast. Breakfast is like my favorite meal of the day. I so I have some like that. I, I have some good <laughs> breakfast spots over got? here. But the one that I used to live right by, and I'm giving a shout out, it's called The Nook. The Nook oh, yeah. is yeah, still man. Man. And I got some yeah. good stuff over there. Place. And, you know, even the dinner's good, too. I've been I've there for that. dinner. Oh, no, I've had the dinner. It was really yeah, good. The, I had, uh, I've had the steak and the hamburger there over there. Yeah, I still swim over at UH Master's Program. And right after that, I go over there. And Nook has, in my opinion, the best coffee anywhere. It's delicious. So, yeah, it is. The coffee's great. Solid. So, yeah. All right. And all right, one more. Uh, date night. You're taking the wife out. Where are you guys going? You know, I like I was saying before, I'm blessed with a very awesome wife. She's easy, meaning that um, <laughs> she just likes... Uh, let's. Well, she does. We ate at Zippy's Perfect. the other day. You, or she's like, let's go to the movies and just Zippies. sit at a movie theater okay. and go watch a movie together. He does not together. have a child with us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, she's not like, oh, take me to Roy's or take yeah. me to somewhere that's going to be a $300 bill. Yeah. And my, we've done that before, but that's just not her thing. So, so. What's, your, what's your favorite? I mean, if you're, you're taking her out tonight for a nice dinner to say thank you for being a wonderful partner, where is she going? Well, you know what? I we had a really good experience when we went to uh, Morton's Steakhouse, Morton's you know, good. over yeah. by Ala Moana. Spent and my twenty fourth birthday. At yeah, Morton's. two people came back about three fifty, but it was good. Yeah, and I, it, I I'll it, never forget it because the steak was so delicious. That's the thing; it's good. like one of those things you want to do once. You know, yep. you just want to say I did it. Exactly. That's, that's why I did it. I grew yep. up poor. I was like, I never had Morton's before. I go in there, you do it up big. I go every yeah. week. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> I saw some lawyers in there actually eating there, oh. sharing a steak, and I was just watching them, and I'm like, wow. It's like this is what you do when you're a big time lawyer. You come in this place right after work, share a steak, go home. You're like, I can't wait for that life. Yeah. <laughs> one day, one, yeah, day. one day. One day. My restaurant shout out this week is Rangoon Kitchen. Uh, it is the second iteration of my favorite restaurant in the world, Dagon. Except this one is in the old. Uh, it's in Chinatown now. Um, it's got a. It's gonna have if it doesn't already. It's gonna have a full bar. Uh, it's in the old uh, restaurant Epic. Is that what it was called? Bar Epic. Probably. That yeah, sounds right. it's okay. in that old spot, like right there on maybe Smith Street. It's it's oh. right near Mark's Garage. Okay. It's really close to Mark's Garage. Okay. Go down there, check it out. The food's all amazing. It's the entire menu from Dagon, which is, again, my favorite restaurant in Honolulu. And then uh, a few new things that they've added specifically for that restaurant. Uh, I've got two. So I'll keep it in Chinatown for the first one. It's Little Village Noodle House. Solid. Also on Smith Street. We were just there last night. For Maybe we went last night, yeah. Friend of the show, uh, Alan Akau, a.k.a. Tough Gong, his yeah. 29th birthday. Shout out to him. Awesome. Happy birthday. Hey. Happy Happy birthday Alan. Ono Grinds, Ono Grinds Chinese food. Um, eat until you puke. And then <laughs> I will also give a shout out to, I can't remember the exact name, but basically it's like the Bon Mi food truck. Okay. It pulls up uh, right outside my office uh, in an undisclosed lo location in downtown. Definitely not Punchbowl Street. Uh, and shout out to them as well. Lemongrass chicken. Awesome. That sounds good. Yeah. That this, sounds you can't good. go wrong. <laughs> That's great. All right. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, this is another episode of the Blue Hawaii Podcast. Yeah. Aaron Wills, thank you so much. Any last thoughts? Any things to share with the folks at home for uh, Husker, Corn Husker Nation? Oh, wait. Uh, uh, here's the thing. If somebody needs legal help, 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh. If somebody's like, you know, this That's guy. True. How do they get in touch with you? Yeah, like, I find, want yeah. this guy to be my sure. freaking attorney. Well, without giving you my card, I'll just give you my email address. It's just my name, Aaron Wills Law so at gmail.com. A A R O N W I L L S L A W at gmail.com. Yep. Phone number is uh, for the office is 808-594-8756. Like I said, um, if I haven't done it before, I'll be honest with you about, you know, what my scope of services can be and if I can help you. And I don't try to turn people away. I just try to be honest about what I can do and, you know, where we can go with your case. And so if people want to get in contact me and talk about things, we can. Um, I was contacted just recently by uh, some election voters in, in Kalihi and had to file a complaint pro bono on their half. So I, I can't do pro bono cases all the time. Sure. But, yeah. you know, I'm glad to be able to do you at least one right now. You haven't forgotten where you came from. Right. Yep. I, absolutely. You know, my family, my dad's family grew up in Kalihi Valley. That's where they're from. Um, back on Murphy Street, We, my dad's family is, he's a Wills, but his mom was a Miller. And the Millers live back in Murphy Street. And so that's my other half of my family is in Kalihi Valley. So it hits home. Awesome. Right on. Aaron, thanks, man. Appreciate right. it. I appreciate it, guys. Thank Ladies you. Ladies and gentlemen, the man, the myth, the legend, Aaron Wills. Call him if you need help. This is the Blue Hawaii Podcast. <laughs> Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii.